I'm in debt. I have two car payments, four years into a 30-year mortgage, balances on a couple credit cards, plus college for three kids on the horizon, zero savings. I work long hours at a job that I hate. And despite all that, all I get is stress about how I can make more money. I take four pills at night for my back pain. Some days, getting up seems like too much. I struggle with dyslexia. I have high cholesterol. I overeat a little too often. I'm trying to get in shape, but it's never, I mean never enough. My dad died five years ago from cancer. I should have seen him more before he passed. Man, I miss him so much. Everyone expects me to be over it, but it's something that I still deal with daily. I haven't taken my wife on a date in four months. I practically forgot our anniversary. My kids need me when I get home, but it's late and I want to sleep. I spend my weekends at their functions, as if that's enough. All this, and I still resent my family because I have no time just for me. I can be amazingly selfish. I'm often angry, seemingly, for no reason. I struggle with lustful thoughts, none of which my wife understands. Nor do I, for that matter. I'm good at some things, I'm great at nothing. I had dreams for my work and my family, and I abandoned them long ago. I think I'm a realist, and I come off as a pessimist. I feel restless knowing something is missing. I have too many burdens. They're suffocating. And this is the weight I carry. Well, the past two Saturdays, I've helped out in our neighborhood carrying wheelbarrow loads of gravel, crush and run gravel, 50 tons of it to some of the trails in our, our neighborhood. And my body is telling me uh, this morning, what in the world have you done to me? <laughs> carrying all this weight uh, in the final chapter of Paul's letter to the Galatians as we close out this series today, uh, he addresses carrying heavy loads. And although it would seem uh, that this passage is rather disjointed for, from what Paul has been talking about the past several weeks as we've gone through this series, I want us to see how timely and how useful the Word of God is today. So if you have your Bibles, please be opening to Galatians chapter 6, the final chapter in this letter. And in verse 1, Paul begins this way. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. What we find in this opening passage and really in this whole chapter is this interplay between a few things that is going on. Two themes, uh, personal responsibility and mutual accountability. Paul is putting these together and it's rooted in Paul's call to freedom. 
And it is emerging from this context of communal strife. All through Paul's letter, we've been seeing this communal strife that is taking place. And it's, it's around this idea of Jesus or Jesus plus. And circumcision is something that the Judaizers are calling the Gentiles to and say, yes, Jesus plus this. And, and you see this strife going on. And in the midst of this, we realize that freedom, as Paul describes, is, is not this license to sin or do whatever you want, but rather freedom is an opportunity to love. And so here we see how this freedom is lived. How is, how is this freedom in Christ lived out? Well, Paul says it's lived out by staying in step with the Spirit. We looked at that last week, which is what produces this fruit of holy living. You'll notice several of the songs that we sang today dealt with this idea of holiness. If you were to describe God, what words would you use? My guess is that many of us would choose that word holy. And so now Paul is going to give real life examples of what it means to live as a Christian within a community guided by the Spirit. It reminds me of the African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And this is this communal spirit that, that Paul is, is really raising up before us and before the Galatian church. But Paul knows that, that when you mix these customs, when you mix these cultures and different preferences, that things can get pretty messy in the church, right? I mean, so Paul is going to try and head that mindset off as directly and pointedly as he can. If you back up to the end of chapter 5, what does he say? Where did we close out last week? In chapter 5, verse 26, Paul says, Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. But what happens if someone is caught in a sin? Well, Paul says spirit-led people should step in. Well, why spirit-led people? Because the call from Paul is this call of gentle restoration. And unless we are led by the Spirit, we will not have the fruit of that Spirit, which is what? Gentleness. And so Paul calls for gentle restoration, that when you're led by the Spirit, you're, you're tempted to, to think, uh, if you're not led by the Spirit, you're tempted to think about how it's about me or it's about the way that, that I produce or the, the way that my works. And so Paul says, be careful. Be careful about that thinking because you may also be tempted. As you're restoring, you may be tempted to think that you're actually the one who is doing the restoration when it's actually me in you. I remember being at a church camp one year and every July I think about church camp as a part of my life growing up. I know a part of several of your lives as well. But I remember being at church camp and I was talking to an older gentleman who would go on to become a shepherd in the church. But most often folks like this are, are shepherding others uh, way before they get the title uh, because shepherding is a spirit-led disposition rather than a human-led position. 
And so I was talking about some folks to him in a, a grumbling kind of way. And as I look back on it several years later, I realized it was, as Paul mentioned a moment ago, it was a conceited grumbling. And we were sitting there talking, and he simply looked at me and said in a gentle yet, yet firm tone, he said, you know, Brett, they're people just like me and you, and they're doing the best they can. And he, he wasn't excusing any behavior, but he, he didn't have to yell at me to make this point. He was simply saying, you know what, they need grace just like you do. He restored me gently that day. And not because he was so smart, not because he had all of his systematic theology figured out. He restored me gently that day because he was full of the Spirit. And this is how Spirit-led people restore gently. So then Paul says that Spirit-led people should bear one another's burdens. Because in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. The basis for restoration is fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to live in the love of the Spirit. Now, this expression, the, the law of Christ, is actually a surprising expression that Paul uses because he's been spending this whole letter talking about and dismissing the law as the ultimate guide for the Christian. So then he circles back around and uses this phraseology, the law of Christ. What, what's Paul doing here? Scholar Scott McKnight says that the Christian's law is following Jesus, that is living in submission to the Spirit the way Jesus did. Jesus was led by, guided by the Holy Spirit. If you read the Gospels, you'll see this over and over and over again. Tim Keller says that the law of Christ means modeling our whole life on the example of Christ. And a specific example of following the law of Christ is to what? Is to carry the burden of a brother or a sister. We bear others' burdens because Christ bore ours. But then Paul says we should carry our own load. So which is it? Should we bear the burdens of others or should we carry our own load? What, what's Paul doing here? Well, I think some of the definitions of the words that he uses help us. So the Greek word translated burdens means a heavy weight, but the different Greek word translated load refers to this kind of a backpack. It's this difference between overload and, and load. And so we'll not compare ourselves with someone who has <clears throat> done less than us and feel conceited pride or compare ourselves with someone who's done more and feel this conceited envy within them. No, God has given them a different load to carry and to serve with him. Our task is to carry our individual load, not someone else's, in a way that what? That pleases God. I shared this passage with our church several months ago, and I believe it's just as important now, if not even more so. Uh, and here was the context that we used a few months ago, if you remember. That according to the National Alliance on 
the mental illness website that one in five adults in the U.S. experience mental illness each year. One in six youth ages 6 through 17 in the U.S. experience a mental health disorder each year. What we said was that the reality is that, that mental health is something that everyone has just, just like everyone has health. And most of us will have some type of struggle with our mental health over the course of our lifetime, just like most of us will have some type of struggle with our physical health over the course of our lifetime. And I'm not sure that we will know the effects of these past few months on the mental health of our society for quite some time. But how can we bear the suffering of another if I don't know the suffering of another? If our mission is to fulfill the law of Christ, our neighbor cannot tell us what's going on or our neighbor is too uncomfortable to share with someone, then the law of Christ is not fulfilled. The law of Christ is unfinished. In her book, Troubled Minds, Amy Simpson says this. She says, the church is supposed to be a community where the hurting, broken, and sin-scarred find rest and redemption. Where everyone present owns up to being rescued from the ultimate death, the ultimate suffering, by the grace of God. And she goes on to say, where the same grace causes us to reach outside of ourselves and through the Holy Spirit's power, love one another. This is the church as it should be. That you who are spiritual must step forward in love. Now, now this is not some measure of spirituality as much as it is a statement of responsibility. You remember what we talked about, those two overlaying themes that Paul is establishing this interplay between. That Christians are to care for one another as what? As this expression of our relationship with God. And that does not mean that there's not times where we ought to set boundaries, healthy boundaries, nor does it mean that medical conditions are to be broadcasted recklessly, but it does mean that the body of Christ takes seriously fulfilling the law of Christ. Paul goes on, verse 7. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I love how Paul has, has just finished telling the church to care for one another and then immediately follows that up with, hey, let's not grow weary in doing good. Church, the way that we care for one another matters. I heard a sister in Christ say this week that as the body of Christ, we show up for each other. We're there for one another. And I want you to know if you're listening to my voice this morning and you feel like that you've been in a season where you have not been heard or others have not shown up for you. I implore you, do not let the enemy sow seeds of bitterness 
The needs of our church are many. In a church this size, sometimes those needs are overwhelming. But I want to encourage us this morning that if, if, if we've missed something as the leadership of this church, would you, would you reach out? And maybe it's just asking the question that God through the Spirit is bringing someone to your mind right now that you can reach out to and either say, hey, how can I help? Four words. I do this in premarital counseling with couples. I say, here's four words that will change your life. How can I help? You ever walked in your home and, who hadn't done this? And who hadn't done that? And why hadn't this done that? How can I help? That will change your life. That's a much different question. Or... Maybe you can reach out to someone and just say, I need help. And, and really, this is fulfilling the, the law of Christ. I mean, how, how can Christians not want to fulfill the law of Christ? It's when we don't allow the Spirit to overtake our lives that we don't allow the law of Christ to be fulfilled. And this afternoon, we have an opportunity to be a force for good in our community through our school supply drive. And I'm so thankful for the generosity of this church. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me the way that God uses the people of the Homewood Church of Christ to be his people in this community. And my constant prayer for our church has been, let, let us not grow weary in doing good. That even in the midst of not being able to gather together, even in the midst of you know, all of the uncertainty, even in the midst of all that's going on, that we have continued to be a church by the grace of God through the Spirit of God that continues to do good. That we continue to do good in the community. Not for the sake of our recognition or somebody's going to pat me on the back, but because this is who I'm called to be in the Spirit. This is who I'm called to be as a child of God. This is who I'm called to be in Christ. And so I can't control, you can't control what happens on the other side of our good. Or you can't control what happens on the other side of God's goodness in you. But we can foster a life in the spirit that produces fruit, the fruit, which is goodness. Paul says, let us do good to all people. Uh, last week, we said that we we're going to throw kindness like confetti. And this week, what would it look like for us to do good recklessly? There's not many things that I encourage my kids to do recklessly. But what if I encourage my kids to do good recklessly? Uh, in his new book, Dream Big, author Bob Goff tells the story of when he was eight years old. He came inside from uh, playing and he was you know, thirsty and hungry. And so his mom had prepared you know, this, this food for him and you know, stacked it up on the plate, put it in front of him. He's famished, uh, to use his own words, and, and he begins to just gobble down all of this food and very quickly, his, his mom's brow becomes furled, and, 
And she looks at him and she says, you're welcome. And he kind of with a mouthful of food says, "Uh, thank you. Uh, Sorry, mom, I I forgot. And from that day on, that eight-year-old boy decided that he was going to beat people to the punch to say thank you. So he strived for years and years to say thank you before somebody could sarcastically say, you're welcome. And then as he gets older in life, he goes to Uganda. He gets off the plane and immediately as he gets off the plane, uh, one of the, the folks who lives there just says, you're welcome. And it kind of catches him off guard. It brings back all of these flashbacks and these memories from when he was a kid. And, and he just kind of hurriedly says, well, uh, thank you. And then five minutes later, someone else says, you're welcome. And he's like, what is going on? I, wh- how, why am I supposed to be saying, you know, thank you? And then the third person says, you're welcome. And that's when Bob Goff steps back. He says, oh, he realized they were actually saying, you are welcome. As in you are welcome here. And these weren't words of correction. They were words of invitation. And so Bob's encouragement is this. Don't be so eager to correct people. Welcome them instead. Accept them. Love them without any angle or agenda. And start with yourself. Jesus would say it this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm honest, some of us don't love ourselves very well sometimes. Sometimes we can love ourselves too much, but a lot of us don't love ourselves well. So in verse 11, Paul says, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And this is, we said this a few weeks ago, this is uh, an indication that, that Paul may have had trouble seeing. I don't know, back in Acts chapter 9 when he got blinded by the light in his encounter with Jesus, this may have something to do with Paul's sight for the rest of his life. But in verse 12, those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Now, here's where Paul gets very practical. Those who want to impress people by the means of the flesh. Throughout this whole series, I've struggled in some ways trying to communicate Paul's message because he uses this example of circumcision. And as I've said the past few weeks, that's not something that we necessarily struggle with in our church. We don't meet people at the door with that questionnaire, and I'm glad we don't. But those who want to impress people by the means of the flesh, oh, that speaks. That speaks. Here's what bothers me sometimes. Is that after 10 years of doing this job, I know that I could get up and share a message apart from the Spirit. And it'd be pretty well crafted. And it'd be pretty well put together. But apart from the Spirit, it's nothing. Apart from Christ, he would say, you and I can do nothing. 
So the call of the preacher, the call of the praise team is to be led by the Spirit. The call of the tech arts team is to be led by the Spirit. And not just what happens in this building, but what happens in our community day in and day out. What happens in your home every single day. Those who want to impress people by the means of the flesh are not going to go anywhere. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, Paul says. Yet they want to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. And here it is, verse 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. And the church in Galatia said amen. The church at Homewood says amen. Paul points the church to this new creation, and he summarizes the gospel in one remarkable sentence. Galatians 6, 14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and out of the world. Church, will you implant that sentence into your heart this week? Will you memorize it? Will you write it down right now wherever you're listening to my voice at? Will you put it on the mirror of your bathroom? Galatians 6, 14. Post it, send it to somebody. But don't let it get away from you this week. All that matters is that through Christ crucified, we are made a new creation. And the gospel creates a new motivation for obedience. Grateful love arising from a faith in a view of Christ and what he's done. This new motivation renews us from the inside out. It's a new birth, a supernatural transformation of character. It's a new creation. We are a new creation. And Paul says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to be, as as I stand here in the middle of this cross-shaped auditorium what does it mean to be a cross-shaped follower of Jesus a cruciformed believer formed by the cross three things I think that Paul tells us one is that a cross-centered life is humble not prideful Secondly, a cross-centered life boasts in the cross, not self. And lastly, a cross-centered life treasures Christ, not the world. Church, this morning as we come to the table, you are welcome. 
The bread and the cup remind us of that. If we can pray for you or answer any questions that you may have, will you fill out that online connection card right now? And whether you're a member or a guest of ours this morning, I would encourage you, fill out that online connection card and let us know. Let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, I want to also thank you for your continued giving. It's your online giving or your sending in of your continued uh, tithe or, or offering is is what's continuing to be used for the kingdom, and we're very, very grateful for that ministry and us not growing weary of doing good is evidenced by the way that you've continued to so generously give. Whether it be the work done locally or the work done globally, I thank this church for not growing weary and doing good. As we take the bread and the cup, Once again, may we remember, may we be reminded, may we reflect on these words from Paul. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Let's pray and then we'll have a few moments to take communion at your homes. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning. We thank you for this, this little letter that has impacted communities of people for centuries, this letter to the Galatians. Father, for some of us, it is, it is this letter that taught us what the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is all about. I pray that we will be a people this morning as we we partake of the bread and as we partake of the cup, the body and the blood of Jesus, may we be reminded that this is what unites us. This is what holds us together. Father, so wherever we're at, may we take a few moments to examine ourselves, to recalibrate for the week, and to have that vision And that reminder that we in Christ are a new creation. I thank you for the bread. Thank you for the cup. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.